In this series that we're doing, what we've seen so far is that over and over and over again, there is this problem of sin. Humanity as a whole is actually kind of addicted to sin. We just can't stop doing it when you think about it. Uh, And it's kind of a strange addiction. I don't know if you've uh, thought about this. It's a strange addiction because sin, when we fall into it and when we continue in it, it actually starts to ruin our lives. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that show on TV called My Strange Addiction. Have you ever seen that one? Uh, I kind of like those shows. It's a bit of a crazy show. Uh, It's where people get addicted to all these sorts of things that just are weird, and they kind of ruin them in the end. Um, there's a couple of stories that, that I remember. One one girl, she was actually addicted to um, having a, you know, girl's hair dryer, you know, those kind of hair dryers you have. She couldn't sleep unless she was holding this hair dryer, and it was on. Like, it had to be on. That's a serious fire risk, isn't it? Um, she couldn't sleep. She was addicted to that. Another girl was so addicted to tanning, you know, going into solariums that her skin like became the age of a 90-year-old when she was 19 or something. Like, it was ridiculous. But I think the most crazy addiction that there's been on that show that I saw was this one girl, and uh, the issue... Oh, I don't know if it was a diagnosis or not. I don't think this is a legitimate diagnosis, but she was a hair puller. Uh, she would pull out her hair. She'd go in the bathroom and she'd pull out strands of hair one at a time you know that little white bit on the end when you just get one hair out? She would eat that. No! Uh, and it, like, she was addicted to it. It, it captured her life. She would, she would report how like, she was cut off from the world. She couldn't move out of the bathroom for hours on ends because she was trying to get a really good follicle to eat. Oh, that's disgusting. It's ridiculous, right? Uh, we get addicted to some crazy things. It seems crazy. Uh, these things, they actually started to ruin people's lives, uh, but tonight I reckon there's, there's a worse addiction, uh, there's a worse thing to get addicted to, and that's sin. Uh, what we see with that video that we watched earlier, what we see when we kind of just do a big overview of the whole of the Old Testament and the picture of the people of Israel, is we see that over and over again they get addicted to sin. I don't know if you know what sin is, most of you would have a fair idea, a friend of mine used to uh, explain sin like this. Uh, you know those podiums that you get on the Olympics? You know, like first is up here, second's there, and third's over there. So you're kind of the winner's podium. Uh, he would explain it that you can't forget about the third one because you know, that just doesn't matter at the moment. But um, God's meant to be on number one block, right? Uh, he's, he's number one. And we're on number two. We're a little bit lower than him. We look up to him. Uh, we listen to what he says. But sin is doing two to one, moving up. You push God off. You say, God, I don't want you being number one. I want to be number one. We step up there and we say, God, rack off. I don't want to listen to you. Uh, That's sin. I'm going to do it my way, not your way. Uh, That's what sin is. Uh, In the video we watched earlier, that described how the nation of Israel kept falling uh, for sin. Uh, There was a little image. uh, I've kind of printed it. Uh, there in your outlines, that, and it comes out most often in the book of Judges, uh, this cycle that Israel kept falling into, uh, this cycle of sin. Uh, there's four things that got repeated over and over again. Uh, I've got them here on the screen. Uh, the people of Israel would sin. Uh, they'd fall for some sort of sin. 
uh, then God would judge them. Uh, God would send his judgment with the people of Israel. He would let the nations come in and take over part of their land. Uh, they would lose a battle, something like that. And the good life that they enjoyed would start to be lost. So they'd look around, they'd think, geez, my life is pretty rubbish at the moment. We're being judged. And they'd call out to God. They'd pray. They'd say, God, help us. Save us from this. And then over and over again, God in his mercy and grace would send a saviour, someone to rescue them, a judge, a ruler. Uh, Whenever there was a judge in Israel, uh, a judge who would listen to God's word, a judge who would then tell the people God's word and they would submit to it, uh, then they would experience blessing. Uh, The good, the peaceful, the enjoyable life came when there was a judge, someone who would hear God's word, who would speak God's word, an appointed ruler. Whenever he was there, they had the good life. They experienced blessing. But over and over again, this cycle happens. You read through the book of Judges, it happens over and over again. They keep falling for sin. In this addiction to sin, uh, what actually happens is they start kind of looking around. Uh, They're going all right for a bit. Uh, Israel is kind of in the land. They're going okay for a bit. Uh, But then they look at what their Canaanite neighbours are doing. Uh, They look at Canaan. They see what they're doing. And then after looking for a little while, they start to join in. Uh, I don't know if you know much about the Canaanites. Uh, The Canaanites come up a lot in the Old Testament. They were people who were in the land uh, before uh, Joshua took them across the river, uh, the River Jordan. Uh, And the Canaanites, they worship these two gods in particular, uh, gods called Baal and Asherah. Uh, Baal was a male god. Asherah was a female god, as you can tell by the picture. And Asherah, and they believe that... um, Baal and Asherah, uh, when they came together, these two gods, uh, when they came together and had sex, that's when the rains would come. Uh, That's when the land would become fertile again. Uh, That was their belief. Uh, And being people, you know, who are kind of living on the land, their whole life revolved around agriculture, uh, the rain was pretty critical. Uh, If it didn't rain, then they would die out. Uh, But if it did rain then you get, what, good crops? If you get good crops, then you get good food. If you get lots of food, then what have you got? You've got the good life. Um, so that's kind of how it worked for them. To get the good life, they did these things uh, in order to awaken these gods, uh, the gods of Baal and Asherah. Uh, they did two things in particular, uh, two types of ways that they would engage and kind of awaken Baal and Asherah. Uh, the first of these things uh, was they would themselves kind of engage in immoral sex. Uh, they would go to the altars uh, and people would have sexual orgies at the base of these <coughs> altars in order to kind of remind the gods to send the rains, to send the harvest. Uh, in times of crisis, it got even worse than that, Baal's followers uh, would sacrifice their firstborn children. Uh, They'd sacrifice their first fruits, their fertility, uh, in order for these gods to look down in favour and bless them, to send the rain, to bring the fertile land. It's terrible, isn't it? When you think about it. Cult prostitution, child sacrifice, 
That's what the Canaanites were like. Uh, it kind of helps you see why God, uh, in the book of Joshua, tells his people to wipe them out, to go into the land and destroy them. Uh, So often we kind of balk at that language. Uh, You know, God's God's telling them to wipe the people out. But when you kind of learn that that's the way they were living, cult prostitution, child sacrifice, that's what defined them. Uh, What they were doing was horrendous. What God wanted to do was replace that horror with something beautiful. Uh, He wanted to wipe out that terrible nation so that his nation could go in there and live good and godly lives. Live lives that were upright, that were pleasing, that people would look at and go, man, I'd like to be a part of that. That's a good community. But as you probably remember, the Israelites, when they went into Canaan, when they crossed over, they didn't wipe out all the Canaanites. No, they actually tolerated them. Over the years, uh, the Israelites started to just let them have their sacrifices, let them continue. Over the years, the Israelites just kind of watched them do their thing. And then eventually, sadly for Israel, we see that they, God's own people, started to copy them. Uh, You get to a stage like in 1 Kings chapter 14, you could read through that chapter, what you see there in 1 Kings 14 is that Israel has just copied Canaan uh, in their bar worship. They've, they're engaging in this religious prostitution. It's terrible. Uh, a priest or a male member of the community was, was kind of put there in order to represent Baal. A number of female priestesses or just people from the community were brought along and they would engage in this kind of immoral sexual acts in order to awaken Baal. And these were God's people. This was God's holy people, his redeemed people. God's incredibly great and wonderful gift of sex and sexuality is just being so perverted. What was designed for this intimate moments in marriage is just now an open public display in this kind of obscene and abusive prostitution. Jeremiah writes even even more so how the Israelites didn't only just copy them in this sexual immorality, but in the the same senseless murder of their children. Uh, In Jeremiah chapter 19 and verse 5, he writes this, he says, They have built high places to Baal, to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings. It's horrendous, isn't it? To think that that is what God's people would end up doing. Such terrible things. It's You know, we laugh at that kind of my crazy addiction. Those weird things. But to think that God's people would end up addicted to that sort of way of living. But how did it happen? Well, it happened because, first of all, they tolerated the sin. They just let it happen. And after a while, after watching it for a bit, they kind of get desensitised to it, and they thought, maybe it's okay. And they join in. I think that's often how we ourselves may get caught up in the sin. We just kind of tolerate it for a bit. We think, maybe it's not too bad. 
Now, we might watch other people do it and think, oh, that's okay. And all of a sudden we find that we're all caught up in it. There's a couple of big things that I want to talk about tonight, a few issues that are, and hot topics, maybe morality issues that I think flow out of this kind of text. Uh, some issues that I think when we look at our world, we see that we're actually, well, our world is not actually all that different to the world of Canaan. Uh, firstly, I think uh, when you look at our world, we see that sexual immorality is just rampant, isn't it? Uh, the question over what's okay, what's not okay with regard to sex and sexuality, what does our world say? If you feel like it, go for it. If you want to do that, well, just do it. No restraint. Everything, it's just kind of on open display. You want it, go for it. You can buy it. Uh, what have we ended up with? With that kind of way of thinking? Or we've ended up with a $3 billion worldwide porn industry? Uh, we've ended up with one in four people using their smartphones to look, to search for, type in the little search code to look at women being degraded and sexually abused. One in four people look at porn on their phones. Isn't that staggering? So not sad. Like Canaan, uh, our world, when we look at it, sex is just on open display and our world says, it's okay, it's fun. But I tell you what, you talk to many people who have been sexually abused, who have been caught up in that industry, and they will tell you that their lives have been ruined. Uh, Gail Dimes, uh, in her book Pornland, uh, it's a good book to read, How Porn Has Hijacked Our Sexuality. Uh, she writes this, she says, We are now bringing up a generation of boys on cruel, violent porn. Uh, she says, And given what we know about how images affect people, uh, this is going to have a profound influence on their sexuality, on their behaviour and their attitudes towards women. Uh, according to Dine's uh, research, the prevalence of porn uh, means that people who watch it, uh, men in particular, are becoming desensitised to it. And because they're becoming desensitised to certain images and videos, what happens is they seek out harsher, uh, more violent and more degrading images. Uh, the porn industry, don't kid yourself, it's not harmless. Uh, not only are those women degraded and abused, uh, but Dines goes on to say this. She says, The earlier that men use porn, the more likely that they are to have trouble developing close, intimate relationships with real women. Some of these men prefer porn to sex with an actual human being. You look at enough porn, it will corrupt your mind so much that you won't be able to be intimate in the ways we were created to be. Porn culture, it's everywhere in our world, isn't it? It doesn't just affect men. No, it affects... It also changes the way women uh, view themselves. 
the way the way women view their bodies and and how they should present themselves, the way they should treat sex and their sexuality, how they should even relate in relationships. It corrupts all of that sort of thing when that's the only message that is out there. That's sexual immorality. We fall in just like Canaan. Uh, In sinful rebellion, our world says, go for it. What does God say? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee, flee it. Flee sexual immorality because it's horrendous, because it ruins people's lives. I wonder how you're going with this issue. Uh, Who's the king in that area of your life? Have you pushed God off and said, I'm going to do it my way, I'm just going to take hold of whatever I can? Or are you trusting him? Secondly, I think the other hot topic, and this is a sensitive one I know, uh, if that first one wasn't, uh, is the issue of abortion. Uh, In general, uh, Christians believe that abortion is morally wrong. Uh, The reason Christians believe that abortion is morally wrong uh, is because we believe that the beginning of a life is a life. Uh, Regardless of how old a baby is in the womb, uh, it's a baby. So ending the life of that baby uh, should not be done. Uh, In our world, however, outside of the church, our culture, our Victorian state law, for example, uh, says that women are allowed to have no questions asked abortions up to 24 weeks of the pregnancy. 24 weeks of the pregnancy. Do you know if a baby was born at 24 weeks, 50% of those babies would survive. Uh, when a baby gets to 30 weeks, 10 weeks before they're meant to be born, 90% can survive in today's hospitals. Statistics say that around 80,000 abortions happen in Australia every year. Can you imagine? 80,000, that's a lot. Imagine if those 80,000 unborn babies grew up became big people. That would be about the population of Bendigo, wouldn't it? Bendigo, every year. Research tells us that most abortions happen because the pregnancy is unintended or unwanted. Uh, Some fear that they won't be able to financially support the baby. Some believe that it will jeopardise their plans for work and study and getting a career. Some are legitimately maybe concerned about becoming single mums. Sadly, many abortions happen because people have been domestically, uh, there's been domestic violence or abuse or rape. Uh, Most likely, I would say, a lot of these abortions are the overflow of our porn epidemic that's just corrupted the way we use sex. Some are aborted for fetal disability, Uh, but perhaps the most distressing uh, reason that's given is that some babies are aborted because they're just not the parents' preferred gender. Uh, Now, I don't want this to sound crass, but it seems that in a bid to have a better life, uh, a more comfortable life, children are being sacrificed, Uh, not to the gods of Baal, but sometimes to the gods of career, the gods of comfort. 
the gods of a life that maybe we can plan and manage ourselves. Uh, now I know these are big issues. Oh, these are sensitive issues. Uh, I don't raise them simply to kind of stir us up and have an argument about morality. There will be question time after this, so you can throw some questions at me and things like that. Uh, but I raise them because I think that these issues in particular, sexual immorality and abortion, I think these are the big ones that face us right now, don't they? Uh, you're probably facing these conversations with your friends as you sit in the SU, as you come out of your lectures. Now, I want us to be actually thinking about these things, to have some sort of perspective from God's word on these issues. So that when your friends ask you about them, you'll have thought something through. Uh, you'll have some way to, to speak to them. I don't think we can just sit back as a Christian group here on campus and just tolerate uh, and not engage uh, with these issues. Uh, if we just kind of sit back, if we just tolerate it, say we're not going to get involved, then I think not only that will that displease God, uh, but it's just going to contribute to our world going down the drain, isn't it? Uh, if we just tolerate these sins, what's going to happen? Uh, we'll end up with a world where people just use and abuse each other for their own sexual gratification. Uh, we'll have men just always behaving like boys, just trying to get whatever they can, never growing up to be men who know how to serve and love sacrificially. We'll end up with a world where women will do anything to be loved. We'll end up with a world where thousands of babies are killed every week and young women have to live with the guilt of those decisions. Um, See, in the cycle of the Israelites, they kept sinning. They kept sinning. Uh, in our world, we keep sinning. Uh, we keep rejecting God and his ways. We don't want to listen to him. As Rory said in that interview, most people don't even know who God is. Most people have never even read the Bible. That's the generation we have. And when Israel kept on sinning, and that cycle of the judges that we talked about earlier, what was the next thing that happened? God judged them, didn't he? In Israel, that judgment looked like the enemy armies coming in, taking over the land. They lost their good life of living under God's blessing. But today, do you know what that judgment looks like? It's not quite like it was in Israel. We get a hint of what that judgment looks like in Romans chapter 1. See, in Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul spells out that this judgment of God on sin actually comes right now. We don't have to wait for the final judgment. There is a judgment now that where people are actually given over to the results of their sins. God hands them over. He lets them live lives of ruin and guilt. In Romans 1 verse 24, you might want to flick there in your Bibles. It says this. It says, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts and impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Read through Romans chapter 1. Three times God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. 
Uh, he hands them over. He lets them continue in this terrible way of living. That's a judgment here and now. And friends, when people persist and stay in sin, this judgment, you see, it will come. When we look at the history of Israel, we see that God didn't just sit back and let the evil continue forever. Uh, no, he judged them. Ultimately, in the story of the Old Testament, you see that they lost their land in the exile. They lost all that God had given them. And they were scattered. They were separated far from him. Before that happened, however, uh, in the cycle of the judges, what happened? Uh, they called out to God, didn't they? They called out to God. They said, they looked at the mess of the world that they were in and they said, God, save us from this. God, save us from this mess of sin that we've got ourselves into. And over and over again, God in his goodness sent them a saviour. In the history of Israel, first it was the judges. Uh, Then he sent them kings, uh, people who God would anoint with his Holy Spirit. Over and over again you get this phrase, they were filled with the Spirit. God would raise these people up. He would fill them with the Spirit. And they would speak God's word to people. They would bring the nation back to God by speaking his word to them. They would bring him back under his rule again. Sometimes I think we hear that phrase, filled with the Spirit, uh, and we kind of think, oh yeah, that'd be great. Uh, we'll do miracles. We'll, uh, you know, speak in all sorts of ways. We'll have vi- experiences or visions. Um, but you know that in the New Testament, every time that phrase, filled with the Spirit, is used, every single occasion in the book of Acts, in Ephesians, that's where it comes up, uh, there is only one activity that follows that being filled in the Spirit. That activity is that people speak the Word of God with boldness. They speak God's Word. Uh, essentially, they tell people to stop sinning. They call people back to God. They direct Him. They direct people to Jesus. They speak the Word of God boldly over and over again. It shouldn't surprise us, I don't think, that uh, the Spirit and the Word are so closely aligned. You get to a place like in Ephesians chapter 6, and what do you see? You see that the, sp- the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Uh, the Word of God is essential if we're going to be moving back towards God. The, the sword that the Spirit uses to do His work, to kind of change us and work in us, the thing He yields and wields, is the Word of God. And that's what happened with sinful Israel. Over and over again, God would fill these judges with his spirit. He would fill these kings with his spirit. He would fill the prophets with his spirit. And they would call people back to God. They would get them to submit to God's word. They would save them from ruining themselves, from ruining their lives in sin. But ultimately, as we see, as the video pointed out, Israel was just a prototype. Uh, Israel wasn't the true rescue. All of, the, all of Israel, all of those kings and judges and prophets actually point us towards the true king, the true judge, uh, who is Jesus, the one who was always filled and led 
by the Spirit. Uh, see, the story of Israel, when we kind of step back and just have a look at it from a distance, uh, it tells us a couple of very important things, doesn't it? Uh, firstly, it teaches us that we as people, we keep falling into sin. Uh, we're addicted to it. Over and over again, we fall into it. What we learn from the story is that something actually needs to change in us. Something needs to change in our hearts. The story of Israel teaches us that we need a king who will rule us if we're ever going to get back on track. Uh, and finally, perhaps most importantly, it teaches us that because of our sin, uh, we need a king who will love us King who will forgive us for our sins. Yeah, not foggy. See, you, mate. I'll give you an excuse to leave. I could see you were trying to get away. That's what we need. We need a king. We need a king who will love us and forgive us, who will lead us and rule us. And in the passage that we read earlier, in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-six, if you've got a Bible, flick open to that passage now. Uh, that's exactly what we see. Uh, we get this kind of king that we need in Jesus. He is the king we need. Uh, in Acts 2, verse 36, uh, Peter boldly proclaims this. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Christ meaning king, this Jesus whom you crucify. God, you see, he has installed his king. Jesus is God's son, the king. But notice what type of king Jesus is. This king is the crucified king. Uh, He's the king who never exerted his own power. Uh, He never pushed God away. He never said, I'm just going to do it my way. No, he always said those incredibly hard words, those words that we find so hard to say, not my will, God, but yours be done. Not my will, not my sinful, selfish will, but yours be done. Jesus said those words, God, your will be done, all the way to his death. Uh, to the point of death, he died on that cross. Why did he die on that cross? Well, have a look there in verse 38. We read those wonderful words. He died for the forgiveness of our sins. For the forgiveness of our sins. That's why Jesus came, to deal with this problem of sin. He is the great rescuer because he's the one who forgives us. He died on that cross to take away all our sin, all our sexual sin, all that guilt and shame. Jesus says, forgiven. Every time you've looked at porn, forgiven. Every time you've lusted, forgiven. Every time you've slipped up sexually, forgiven. If you've had an abortion, forgiven. That's what Jesus' death on the cross means. That's what it says. All that guilt, all that shame, all those burdens that you've been carrying around with you are nailed on that cross with him. So you don't have to carry them around anymore. Peter says in verse 38, Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Verse 40, he says to the crowd, he says, Turn to Jesus, this king, and save yourself from this crooked generation. Save yourself from this messed up world of sin. That's what we're to do as sinners. We're to turn to Jesus, this king who dies for us, the one who said that he came not to be served, 
but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's who Jesus is. That's who God's king is. He's not a tyrant. He loves you. He dies for you. So let me ask you a question. Why do you doubt his word? Why do you keep rejecting him and pushing him away? My friends, break those sinful habits by looking at the cross. Uh, See how he loves you. See how Jesus serves you there. But more than that, also look in these words and see what he gives you. Now see, did you notice there in verse 38, Peter says, Repent every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's what we get. Uh, Not only when we make Jesus our king do we get a great king who forgives us, but he pours his spirit in us. The spirit of God comes inside us and it works in us and through us and it changes our hearts so that we will, so that we can listen to him. Uh, The spirit is the key to breaking that cycle of sin. It's the change that we needed all along. Uh, The prophet Ezekiel uh, spoke of this day. He longed for this day uh, when the Spirit would come. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, if you're somebody who underlines things in your Bible, this is a good little one to underline. He says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey me. That was the promise of Ezekiel. God would send his spirit that would change our cold and sinful hearts, our hearts that just cared about ourselves. He would change them into fleshy hearts, hearts that beat That's the beat with the rhythm of obedience to God's word. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 2, isn't it? That second little section that we read, in verses 42 to 47, uh, we see that there is this new spirit-filled community who are just so different, aren't they? Uh, There's this little snapshot of what they were like, and you just kind of read those verses and you go, they were wonderful. I wish our church was like that. I wish our group was like that. Uh, these people, they've made Jesus their king. And, and what do you see them doing? Well, number one, they devote themselves to God's word. Two, they meet together. They keep meeting together to encourage each other to keep living for Jesus. Uh, thirdly, they, they pray to God over and over again. They pray that God would help them live the way they're supposed to live. And then four in verse 44, when you jump down there, you see that they start sharing and they start serving and they start loving each other more than they love themselves. Well, it's a bit of a better cycle to get into, isn't it? Instead of falling into that sin cycle of Israel, where they kept falling into sin. Now with a new king, with a new spirit, uh, this might sound a little bit corny, but I'm going to call it the sun cycle. Are they... They move to a new cycle, a cycle where Jesus is the king, where he's number one. Their lives are all about him. They revolve around him. 
Uh, so instead of getting caught up in sin, they now devote themselves to God's word. Uh, they learn how to live for Jesus. Instead of being scattered in judgment, like in the previous cycle, they meet together as God's people, as Jesus' people. So now instead of having to cry out in anguish because their lives are being ruined, they thank God for his blessings because they're living in accordance to his word. Instead of waiting for God to raise up a rescuer because they need it, they just remember the great rescuer. They remember their saviour who's already rescued them. And so they can get on with serving and loving and caring for people. Uh, it's the sun cycle. And I want to say, it might sound a little bit weird, but get addicted to it. Uh, get addicted to these things. Because they will change the way our community works. They will change the way your community, your church works. If we do these things. We talked about those two issues before. Sexuality of abortion. I just want to touch on to finish about how I think this kind of spirit-filled community uh, actually says something very positive uh, to those two issues, something very helpful that I think we should be saying to our friends and our classmates. Uh, so often I think people look at the church, they look at Christians and they go, oh, you guys are just so negative, you're always saying no to stuff. No sex, no drugs, no rock and roll, all that sort of stuff. We don't say no to all those things. But that's kind of the vibe, isn't it? People, Christians are so negative. I want to say that God's word, God's spirit, God's son brings life. Uh, and if that's true, if they renew us, then I think then we should be able to say something very positive to the world, shouldn't we? I mean, just have a think about these issues for a moment. The issue of Christian uh, of sex. Uh, the, the Christian view of sex, when you think about it, it's actually much better than the world's, isn't it? Uh, in Christian marriage, sex, it's not about power and domination. It's not about getting about one person kind of getting what they want and the other person feeling abused on the sideline. No. In the Christian view of sex, in marriage, the husband lays his life down like Jesus laid his life down. Uh, the husband and wife, they join together in the most intimate of union, and they serve each other with their bodies. There is no shame there. They join together in order to please each other, to get to know each other, to get to know what people like. Sex in Christian marriage, it's a beautiful thing, and I want to say it's worth the wait. Uh, we're going to do a series uh, starting in week 10 on love, sex and marriage. We're going to talk more about these things because I think it's really important that we do. Uh, but I just want to say that Christianity doesn't say no to sex. Christianity says a massive yes to sex in the right context. But secondly, in this new community of God, Christians, I think, uh, we actually have something very positive to say to that pregnant teenager who feels out of her depth and is looking to have an abortion. Uh, because did you notice that? Uh, did you notice what the new community in Acts were doing? In verse 45, what are they doing? Well, they're selling their possessions, aren't they? They're distributing the proceeds to all in need. Essentially, what they're doing is is they're doing what Jesus has done for us. They're giving sacrificially 
to those in need. That's what I'd like to see us do as a Christian community. I'd like to see Christian people say to that pregnant teenager, we're going to support you and your baby. Uh, we're going to help you raise that child. Uh, we don't want you to, we want you to actually come and live with us. Why don't you come and live in our home? We've got a spare room. Uh, we can say yes to them. Uh, we want to serve you and love you. We want to share with you in bringing this life into the world. This life that God has created. We want to help you raise that baby. Sure, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us heaps. But that's okay. That's the kind of thing I think would be good for us as Christians to be doing, wouldn't it? We say that because we can do that. Because of what our king is like. Uh, Jesus. Jesus, the one who forgave us. The one who loved us and served us so sacrificially on our lives, was so messed up. See, the church, this group of Christians, this group of spirit-filled people who love Jesus' Son, when we live it out, when we live it out properly, we actually show the world a better way to live, don't we? We start to renew communities. We start to bring life back to them instead of ruin and I reckon that maybe if we did that well, people might just look at us like they did at the end of that passage in Acts 2 and they'd say, I'd like to be a part of that. I'd like to know who that Jesus guy is that you guys love so much. Friends, let me encourage you, don't turn back to the sin cycle, but get addicted to the sun cycle. Are you doing those things? Are you reading your Bibles? Very important to get to know God. You get to see how Jesus wants us to live. You get to see how much he loves us and cares for us as we remind ourselves of his sacrifice for us. Are you meeting with his people? I mean, clearly I'm preaching to the converted here. You're all here. But keep meeting. When exams are coming and assignments are tough, keep coming along. Keep going to churches on the weekend. Spur each other on. Because it's not easy to live as a Christian in this world. Are you praying? Are you praying to God that he would ask, that he would help you deal with those sins in your life? He would help you know how to love and care for the people around you? Pray to him. He will reveal himself to you. And finally, are you serving? Are you finding ways to serve and love people? You can chat to Rory after this if you want. That's a good way to serve and love people. There's lots of other ways you can do that. But let me encourage you, don't live for sin. Live for the Son. Live for Him. Let me pray. Our Father in Heaven, we are in awe of your sacrifice to us. We're in awe of the fact that you would give us your one and only Son who would die for us who had rejected you over and over again. Father, we thank you for your patience with us, your grace to us. Thank you that all our sin and guilt and shame is no longer ours to bear because Jesus has died for it and we've been raised with him. Father, help us to know how to talk to our friends about these hard issues when issues of sexuality come up, when issues of 
abortion, when other hard issues come up, please help us to speak gentle and kind words. Most of all, Father, help us to speak words that are inspired by your words, words that bring life, words that bring hope to our community. We just pray this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.